this is going to be our second week uh, in a three-week series, a uh, reflection on God. It's a fitting topic for church. Uh, <laughs> I don't know what you expected on French fries. That's our theme for the next three weeks. Mayo or ketchup? No, we're not even joking about such nonsense. Uh, we're here to talk about God and to encounter God together and giving a little bit of language, not too much explanation, but maybe just enough to help us map our experiences might be helpful. And so last week we talked about uh, an introduction to the idea of God. When we say God, what do we mean and what have people meant over thousands of years when they use that word God? You could think of that in a Trinitarian sense if you're coming at this from a Christian perspective as speaking about God the Creator, or God the Father, or God the Source. This week we're going to do an introduction to the idea of Jesus. That name, Jesus, what does that mean? What does it mean that Jesus is the Christ? Uh, in classical Christian language, this would be an introduction to God the Son, God the Savior, uh, God the Human. What does it mean that God took on flesh in the person of Jesus? Uh, and so, on that end, uh, let's open up the scriptures. I'm going to read from John chapter 1. Now, normally I don't put uh, slides up with the words on them and just would allow people to close your eyes and meditate or read along. You're certainly welcome to read along. You're welcome to close your eyes and meditate on the text. But I will throw up the words this time just because we're playing a little bit with some translation. And I just want to make sure there's some stuff that's clear. This is taken from a translation I often work off by a uh, the uh, theologian and academic named David Bentley Hart, who's translated this from the Greek into English. And so uh, the text here will be John chapter 1, verses 1 to 5, and then we'll skip ahead a little bit in chapter 1 to close off. One thing I'll make note of, <clears throat> in the origin was the word. You might often have heard the expression, in the beginning was the word. Hands up if you've heard that and that's familiar. Okay, so most of us, great. The word, word, you can see why this will get meta. Um, the word, word is the word logos. Let me hear you all say logos. And that means word. But it means the word, uh, capital L, logos. The word, singular word, first word. That's what we mean when we say logos. And there was a whole school of thought in both Greek and Roman culture, as well as emerging in Jewish culture at the time that this was written, around what the word was, sort of the pattern, the template of all creation. The word from which there came many words, words plural. Or to uh, use the Greek, the logos being the word, and then logai being words, the source and the uh, working out from that single source. Now, you don't need to know all that, but just a little bit of context if that's helpful. And we'll, we'll break this down with some simple pictures soon. Sound good? Okay, great. Let's read together. In the origin, there was the Logos, the Word. And the Logos was present with God. And the Logos was God. This one was present with God in the origin. All things came to be through him. And without him came to be 
not a single thing that has come to be. In him was life, and this life was the light of men, humanity. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not conquer it. Skipping ahead to verse 14. And the Logos word became flesh and pitched a tent among us, and we saw his glory, glory as of the Father's only one, full of grace and truth. For we all have received from his fullness and grace upon grace. Because the law was given through Moses, the grace and the truth came through Jesus the anointed. No one has ever seen God. The one who is uniquely God, who is in the Father's breast, that one has declared him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks. So last week, if you were here, uh, and there are still little zines, little pamphlets in the foyer on the way out, you can grab one. We talked about what does it mean to have the idea of God mean that, that God is beyond what we can understand. God is beyond knowing. We cannot, through our own rationality, know what is above us, what supersedes, what sits over us. And you can hear that here in John. No one has ever seen God. No one could ever see God because God supersedes us. God is above and beyond our ability to see. But Jesus, this word, has made that one known. So I'm going to pull out uh, this whiteboard again. If you were here last week, I drew out five little pictures that I find helpful because I'm a visual learner. I don't know if you found them helpful or inscrutable, but, uh, you know, hopefully you find these ones helpful. <laughs> so a couple of images to help us think of this and a few simple concepts for an introduction to the idea of Jesus. Okay, first thing. Words, name, names. Very simple stuff. We talked last week, a name is a person, a place, or a thing. People have names. Somebody shouted a name. See? Proved it. Okay. And places have names. Somebody shouted a place. Only Hamilton exists. <laughs> and things have names. Somebody shouted a thing. There you go. Bicycle three times and a handle. That's all the name. So, you could think... could think of a fruit. Say we see a fruit. You see the fruit, and you point, and you say, that, that thing. And people go, what that, what that? And you all surround the that. And with your words, you get to describing what that is. That is fruit. 
Now you could go further. You could say, oh, it's not just fruit. It's got a proper name. It's an apple. Or it's not just any kind of apple. It's that sweet, crispy, honey crisp apple. So you could give it more and more proper names. But even fruit is a name. Fruit. Making sense so far? So words, this is so simple, but part of what words do, everybody, is words name things. And the more we all name something the same, the more we are cohered around that name. And you could say to someone, fruit, and they could say fruit, and then you could go together to the fruit. Okay. Second point. That's the whole first point. You're doing great. Words also move names. Now, this is where we'll get a little more abstract, but I think we can all follow this. Words move names. If you were to see this fruit, you might have in your mind a word come to you. We're not used to thinking like this. We're used to seeing an apple and then saying, oh, someone went and ate the apple. Eat. But before someone went to eat the apple, a word came to their mind. Whether they were conscious of it or unconscious of it, what came to their mind was eat or yum. I don't know how it works for you, but some word came to that person that moves them to the apple and then they act out that action based on a word. So think about internal words that come to us. You're tired, you sit a pillow or a couch, and you think, I should have a nap. A word comes into your mind. Nap, sleep. And then in response to the word in your mind, you act out sleeping. And again, this is maybe strange for us because we kind of think about ourselves so materially that a lot of us would discount entirely the words that come into our mind. We would think, no, I chose to have a nap. Maybe you did. But first, a word came to you that you responded to in your choosing. I chose to go on a walk. Sure. You also looked out the window and saw the beautiful day, and in your mind came the idea, I should have a walk. And in that, there is a verb, a word walk, which is an action, but the verb is first a word, walk. Does this make any sense? Any burning questions on this? I know. It's, if it doesn't make sense, that's okay. My encouragement to you, if you're still kind of chewing on this idea of a word moving us, would be to walk through the next day considering what you do, and before you do anything or after you do it, ask, oh, was there a word that came to me first? This also will make you very uncomfortable with advertising. It's not by mistake that we have forgotten how words work. When the Mad Men era hit and advertising was exploding, we were at a time where human beings said, we are free will agents and everything I do is a choice I made. And the advertisers were like, oh my gosh, that's perfect. That's perfect. 
We'll put an ad in a magazine of a watch. We'll write, real men get watches. We'll watch our watch ads and sales shoot up over 50%, and everyone that bought a watch will say, I'm a free person doing what I choose. What a perfect situation for advertisers. Why do you think they spend so much money advertising those adversaries? Same root word. They are pushing on you ideas, words, eat, hunger. Have you noticed how carnal they've become? Get what you crave. That's like on an ad. Get what you crave. Desire. Shove it in your mouth hole. Like it's just really <laughs> aggressive and, and carnal advertising these days. Because the word itself, whether you think it affects you or not, is worth them paying for. And they have psychologists and sociologists on staff full time, paying them more than the local college does to think through how to manipulate the masses into buying what they want to sell. And they do it through words and symbols that enter our mind, and then we live out in response to the word. So in the scriptures it says that God's word will never go out without producing fruit and then returning. This is how the scriptures speak of words. Okay, does that help clear it up a little bit? Just a little? Okay, just a little. We'll keep going. Make sure I've got all my phrases right here. Okay. The word... made all things. The word, singular, made all things. So you could think of this first word, which philosophers and the biblical authors refer to, you could think of this first word like a seed. Inside a seed is contained the entire tree. The branches that stretch up, the ability to reproduce with fruit, the, uh, what are the things that go underneath the roots? That's what it's, <laughs> your pastor's an idiot. Uh, <laughs> the roots that go down and pull up nutrients, that pull up life, that reproduce fruit with more seeds in it, that produce trees with roots and fruit with more seeds in it. Again and again, over and over, the same pattern is played out. But it all starts with one seed, or did it start with one apple? You know, chicken or the egg. But the scriptures seem to say that there was, at a higher level, one word. One single word that went into creation, and through that one word came all words. Through that one pattern came all patterns, which is why many Christians, including the Orthodox, would say that the human being is a microcosm of the universe. And you can look at, like, our fingerprints and bark, and you can look at how root systems work and what lungs look like. There's a lot of things that reveal that we are in some way connected, like a pattern, to the entire creation. Well, because in the beginning was one word, which we will give a name to soon, 
And that one word contained the pattern of all things. And so all things will be reflective of all other things because in the beginning was the word. And through that word, all things were made like a tree with roots. And in that one word, all things hold together. Number four, Jesus is the word. Jesus is the word. Now, I know for some of us that feels kind of insane. It's like, well, how can the word that launched all creation also be a guy, like a person? And I know that sounds strange because time is weird for us human creatures. But you can think of it like this. In the beginning, there was a single word with no body, but through it all things came about. And then that word, as that complete word, entered into a body that we named Jesus the Anointed One, or Jesus the Christ. And that Jesus lived a whole life. And through his life and death and resurrection and ascension, that single word who took on flesh has revealed the pattern of all things, reveals the shape of the tree, and then goes back to be with God. And where is God? As we drew last week, God is infinitely on from that which we do not know. And so then, if you want to get real sci-fi, by leaving time and space, Jesus, the human, becomes eternal with God. Therefore, the world could be made through a person. Even though the per It's like, if you can follow the Marvel movies, you can definitely follow this. You might just have to take a bit of time on Wikipedia. But if you're someone who's a curious cat, and you're like, how could this make sense? It actually is quite coherent. It's been quite coherent for thousands of years that the word could take on flesh. And then that flesh could go back to the source of the word. And so all things are held together in a single unity. Jesus is the word. Therefore, and I'm sorry for those of you who can't see at the bottom here, uh, but I'm just drawing our mountain from last week. Therefore, Jesus becomes the highest name. If you're thinking about names from last week, we've got Jesus at the top of the mountain, then peace, then your mom, and then TV. It's the hierarchy of being. But Jesus then becomes the highest name. Now, if you are a little confused on the use of name or the idea of names being ranked in a hierarchy, you can listen to last week's sermon on the podcast or grab the little zine from last week on the way out that walks through this. But all we need to know right now is if this story is true, how words work, that there was a word, that Jesus is that word, then Jesus becomes the largest idea you could imagine. What could be bigger than the infinite unknowable God taking on flesh and blood in the creation, living from the top of that creation all the way down to death, entering into death all the way down to the bottom of Hades, coming back up in resurrection, and then ascending back to the infinite one. What story could be larger? What idea could be bigger? And then in the way we've been speaking about names, what name, what noun could be higher? than that name. 
If this is true, then that is certainly the name above all names. But even if you do not know if it's true or you haven't encountered it to be true, it continues to remain the fact that Jesus, the name, is in this narrative the name above all names. Now what's really interesting is that you'll hear this language in the scriptures. Jesus is the name above all names. At the time they wrote that, he was not the most well-known name in the world. But now he is. Check this out. Uh, hands up if you've heard of Jesus. Boom. Proved it again. But really, truly, on earth, through history, there is no name really even close to being known as much as the name of Jesus. But when they first spoke that testimony, it was all theory. In theory, this is the name above all names. In a spiritual sense, Jesus is the name above all names. And so they would speak that as true, and simply by stating it as true, the story is pushed forward and carried forward. And before long, Jesus' name is the most known name in Rome, the rulers who put Jesus to death. And then it's the most known name in the surrounding regions. And now, and through most of history, it has become the name above all names. All right, so um, that should clear everything up. Two quick things. One, Jesus reveals the unknowable God with perfect cohesion and perfect clarity. The one that we could not know has revealed God's self to us in a way that we can understand because the medium is the message. And so the medium that the infinite chooses to communicate to a human being is through the medium of a human being which is a generous and beautiful act. Secondly, the name of Jesus being at the top of the mountain, being the name above all names, reorders all the other names on the mountain. If we are ever those who say that it is the mighty who are mighty, the name of Jesus reverses that and flips it. It is the weak who are brought high. It is the high who are brought low. If we are ever tempted to believe that we live in a world of scarcity, Jesus flips it, says, no, we live in a world of super abundance, more than you need. Through his miracles, his teachings, his life, his death, his resurrection, and his ascension, Jesus, the name, is reordering all the other names on the mountain, putting everything in its proper spot so that he might take preeminence over everything, so that he might tie up all of the world as an offering back to the source so that all may be one. I dare the advertisers to come up with a better story than that. Like, I dare them. I don't, I, I don't want them to try, because we're dumb. But like, <laughs> that is, that is, if you are, if you are someone who is, who is struggling with reality, who has existential dread over the state of the world, the narrative of Jesus offering all things as one whole back to God because of his life, death, and resurrection and ascension. That is a bona fide answer to existential dread. That is also a true name, Jesus, that you can pray to, that will cast out of you 
any name or idea that is oppressing you. You don't have to understand it. But if you call on the name Jesus, you will be liberated from what oppresses you. It may still press in on you, but not from the inside. It may still weigh on you the weight of the world, but not from the inside. The name of Jesus is a name, not because you believe it or I believe it, just is a name that calls all other ideas and spirits and structures to account. It is also a name that might get your head chopped off. But, you know, that's living. Eternal life, I mean, like. Let's read one more text as we begin to close out. This is one of the earliest writings in the New Testament about who this name Jesus is. It's from the letter to the Philippians, one of the early Christian communities. The Apostle Paul writes, Be of that mind in yourselves that was also in the anointed one Jesus, who subsisting in God's form did not deem being on equal terms with God a thing to be grasped, but instead emptied himself, taking a slave's form, coming to be in a likeness of human beings and being found as a human being in shape, he reduced himself, becoming obedient all the way to death and a death by a cross. For which reason God also exalted him on high and graced him with the name that is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee of beings heavenly and earthly and subterranean should bend. And every tongue gladly confess that Jesus the anointed is Lord for the glory of God the Father. Amen. Text. What a text. Every name heavenly in the realm of ideas and spirits, earthly and below the earth, subterranean, whatever that world is. Every knee should bend. And I, I really love that the Apostle Paul uses the word should. Because we're not like big into, you know, coulds these days, right? Or sorry, not big into a. Whoop. Every knee should bend. Let me, let me reframe that. That every knee should bend. Not every knee must bend. We are not dealing with a tyrant. The name above all names is not a name that demands people be forced into a posture of humility. There's a name that says you should bend. Or to soften it for our ears, maybe we could say, you ought to bend. You ought to put your life before this name. Because what other name 
could bring you life and fit you into your place within the cosmos. Your place as a friend is found by taking the posture of Jesus and bending to him, which allows you to become the spiritual friend that you have always been meant to be. Your place as a citizen is not found by grabbing onto your ideology or making the world in your image, but by finding the posture of Jesus, a posture of humility and service, and in doing so, finding your place as a citizen under that. When we bend to the name above all names, we become more like that name that we look to, and therefore we become more of who we are meant to be, not less. We should bend the knee because bending down and finding our place makes us more human, makes you more you, makes us more us, which brings blessing to all who we are surrounded by and brings us into our proper order internally. And so as a way of uh, closing ourselves out today, I want to encourage you to recollect a memory. Maybe there's been a time, maybe just one or two, where you have called out to that name, Jesus. Where you have encountered that word, the word. Where you have sensed inside of yourself a resonance with who you truly are. Where you've sensed a resonance with what truly is going on in this world. Where that word came to you and comforted you and put you into your proper place. I want to invite you to close your eyes and to ask God to bring a memory to you. And if you've never had such a time, then I invite you to take this moment as a quiet space to speak out that name, Jesus, and to be open to how that name might put you in your proper place for the reconciliation of all things. I'm going to give you a minute to sit and meditate and remember. Jesus, you are the name above all names. The one who reveals the creator to us and the one who puts us in our proper place to grow and flourish along with the rest of your creation. Speak to us, God, by your word so that we might become your words through Christ our Lord. Amen.